Now, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I do invite you to take it and turn with me. This morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 5, beginning in verse 30, and rounding out the chapter in verse 47. <clears throat> you know, on this last day of 2023... We're closing this chapter of John, which has, for the most part, been a one-sided argument from Jesus. For the most part, a one-sided argument from Jesus in response to the critiques of the Pharisees. The Pharisees have charged Jesus with healing on the Sabbath. They have charged Jesus with claiming God as his Father and claiming himself to be God. And Jesus has been responding to those claims. We have seen his power, his authority over life, his power, his authority over judgment, his power, his authority over eternity. Over and over again, Jesus has been validating his right, and his ability to perform the acts of God. And really, we can summarize it as this. Jesus is God, and he can do what God does. It really does simplify down to that. Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, his actions and his claims to be God are justified. Well, as he wraps up his argument in chapter 5, and then starts living out his argument in 6, 7, and 8... We're going to get a string of witnesses. Now think of this as a court case. We'll talk about this a little bit in a moment. There was a little bit of a trial going on here. And as Jesus rounds out his argument, he's going to call witness after witness after witness to the stand. I've said it enough. Now listen to these witnesses. For they say it as well. They testify that I indeed am who I say that I am. That's what we will be seeing in our text. I do invite you to look with me as we hear it. From our text, Jesus says it far better than I can. Would you please follow along with me? John chapter 5, I'll begin in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, because you think in them you will have eternal life. And it is that they, it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. 
How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? This is the word of the Lord. Would you please bow with me as we go to him in prayer? Father, I can think of no words more powerful to pray this morning in anticipation of studying your word than the song that we just sang. Teach us, O Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let the truth prevail over unbelief. We, your people, need truth this day. We, your people, are prone to unbelief. We need you to speak life into our lives and give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we may hear. Grant it, O Lord, during this hour we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It is always helpful, and I find many people this time of year go through a time of evaluation, a a time of reflection. How did the year go? Did we accomplish our goals, our hopes, our dreams? As we look ahead, what do we want to accomplish? And one thing I always encourage and I try to do myself is a character evaluation. How am I doing spiritually? There's a great list uh, that you can go and look at the fruit of the Spirit. God gives us character traits that we should be seeing growing in our lives. But there's one trait that I want to make sure that we're always evaluating about ourselves, and that is when you speak, when you talk to others, are they likely to believe you? Put it differently. Are you a trustworthy person? Can you be believed? Now, there's a difference in being... Um, that, that kind of person, it's hard to even put into words, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, I'll, just, I'll give you a, a, a personal example. I, I had a chemistry professor. I loved this professor um, in high school. I thought dearly of him. He was that professor that on his test, they were all multiple choice, and you assumed all four of the answers were wrong. Anytime he spoke to you, you assumed whatever he was saying was right technically. You know those kind of people in your life that they're, they're almost joking, but they always, they're so interested in critical thinking, they force you by interacting with them to assume everything they're saying has hidden meaning. That can be fun unless it's time to be serious. And then those people can be incredibly frustrating. Now, I grew more from this professor than really anyone else in high school, but I also remember very vividly a humiliating experience. He was also the softball coach, and he asked me to go to the athletic director and find a bucket of curveballs for practice that day. I'm still looking for that bucket of curveballs. Can you be trusted? When people hear your words, do they believe them? Really, that's what we're talking about in this interaction with Jesus. That's the argument Jesus is making here. I can be trusted. My words are true, 
And you, when you hear them, don't have to worry. Now, did he really mean that? Or was he just joking with us again? And to that end, Jesus provides for us a string of witnesses. And we will look at each of them briefly in our text this morning. Jesus calls on himself as a witness. Jesus calls on God the Father. Jesus calls on John the Baptist. Jesus calls on the Old Testament. And as we will see, and I I missed it earlier, we'll get there in a moment, he calls on his own miraculous ministry to testify that he is who he says he is. And so this day, we will examine the witnesses and see if we can come to the conclusion that Jesus is indeed Lord. We begin by Jesus himself. And what does he tell us in verse 30? And he's making multiple points in verse 30 and 31. But what does he say here? As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Simply put, Jesus is saying, when I tell you something, I mean it. And when I tell you it, it is just, it is righteous, it is holy. Jesus, as we look at his character, and we've been doing so from the beginning of John, is pure. There's no question. And if we look back at the earlier sections of Jesus' argument in this chapter... What has he said? What was the major point the last two Sundays we've gotten together? I and the Father are one. To question me is to question God the Father. You don't question him. You don't wonder about him. You don't worry about him. Why are you doing the same to me? He says here, if you then put all of 30 together, I intentionally skipped the first part, Um, Just so you see, Jesus does validate his own testimony. But he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek my own will, not, not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. When Jesus acts, when Jesus speaks, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, all speak and act in unison. And to question one is to question all. God is trustworthy. There's a a great place in Scripture we can go to see this very plainly uh, listed out, and that's in the book of Numbers. There's an almost comical um, scene. You probably, whether it's been a while since you've read Numbers or not, you probably remember this story, and that is the story of the prophet Balaam. Balaam was a self-righteous, he was a selfish prophet. He was not a pleasant guy. And one day he's on his donkey going down the road and an angel of the Lord with a flaming sword stands in the way ready to strike. And the donkey sees the angel and stops and Balaam beats the donkey. And then they go a little further and then the donkey stops and Balaam beats the donkey. And then a little further and then he stops and then Balaam beats the donkey. And then God speaks to Balaam and opens his eyes. Oh, you fool. Your animal fears me more than you do. 
you unrighteous judge. This beast of burden, trust me and trust my word more than you ever will, and your life is spared this day because of his obedience, not your own. Well, following that moment, Balaam goes into a string of oracles. He goes into a string of prophecy. And what we read in Numbers 23, 19 is Balaam, that unjust prophet, that unrighteous judge, give these words, 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? You've got an unrighteous man saying, God says what he means and does what he says he's going to do. And so when Jesus says here, I'm just, when I speak it, you just need to listen. That's really the end of the argument. We could amen, let's sing the last hymn, and we're good to go, right? Witnesses to the testimony of Jesus. Jesus himself is testimony enough to himself. But he doesn't stop there. In fact, Jesus warns us in um, verse 31... If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Hold up. (laughs) Now is Jesus saying not to listen to Jesus? Certainly not. That's not what he's saying at all. In many cases in Scripture, he points to his own testimony. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. This is a legal argument. They're wanting to, to put on their, their big boy coats and they're wanting to sit at the table and, and pretend to be judges. And so Jesus is saying, okay, if we're going to play that game, you need to go back to Deuteronomy. You need to go back to Deuteronomy. I believe it's um, chapter 17 and 19. And what does the law say? Conviction shall only take place on corroborating testimony of two or more witnesses. And so what Jesus is showing them here, by the way, guys, I know your own law better than you. (laughs) And if that's what you want to do and that's how you want to play it, well, let's call some more witnesses. And so Jesus says, the next witness, please come to the stand. And who does he call? God the Father. He calls God the Father to the stand. He says in verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me. And I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. Boy, you you really swing for the fences there, right? They're not listening to Jesus. So he says, okay, argue your way out of this one. I call the Almighty God to the stand. Yahweh. How are you going to respond to Yahweh? They're Pharisees, they're they're Jewish elite. They were commanded and obligated through their schooling and through their profession to know the Torah, to know the Old Testament, to have studied it and read it. They knew that the Word of God is true. And we see in Scripture God the Father verifying Jesus is the Son. We can go to two places. Well, we can go all sorts of places in Scripture. But just two this morning in the New Testament. Matthew 3 and Mark 1 records for us the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. Both accounts tell us 
that after Jesus rose, after receiving the baptism, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven like a dove, the heavens are opened, and the word of God the Father rings out. Now, real quick pause. This is a very important text for us in that it's one of the places in Scripture we see all three parts of the Trinity acting in unison and independently. This is a great proof text for the validity of the Trinity. Now, that's not the purpose of this morning, but I can't help but tell you that because it's awesome. But what does it say? Holy Spirit descending like a dove, Jesus coming out of the water, God the Father opening His voice from heaven, and He says this, Mark 1.11, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. God the Father says Jesus Christ is His Son. So now we're left with a question. Do you call God a liar? You don't like this Jesus, fella, but what are you going to say about Yahweh? <laughs> Yahweh spoke it. You say, Man, well, maybe we just misunderstand that one. That nah, I don't know about that. Well, actually, they would say this New Testament thing, what are you talking about? But let me take you to another one. Matthew 17. This is the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus goes up on a mountain with His three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. While there, Jesus is transformed or transfigured for a brief moment, pre-resurrection, they get to see the glory of the Lord in Jesus. They get to see Him for who He is, and it overwhelms them. And then some prophets show up, and it confuses them. But again, the heavens open up and Peter, James, and John, remember John, author of the book we're reading, hears these words from God the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then we get an addition. I love this addition. Listen to Him. God the Father again confirms Jesus Christ is the Son of God and then commands our obedience to Him. Listen to what He says. And again, I, I find myself at this point in the case going case closed. <laughs> That's pretty open and shut. Jesus Christ says He's God. God the Father says He's God. What more do you need? What do you want? And you may be wondering, why? What, what, what's wrong with these people? Like, what's left for them to understand and to believe? It's pretty clear. Jesus actually addresses that too, and, and it's one of the saddest sections of this text. Why don't they believe? We know why they don't believe. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. You do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe the One whom He has sent. And then if we look down, to verse 42, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Why don't the Pharisees believe they don't love God? 
Why don't the Pharisees believe Jesus? They don't have the Word of God in their hearts. Now remember, they're Pharisees. By profession, they are to study the Word of God, preserve and protect it and promote it. And what Jesus is saying here is, you very people who should know this better than anyone else don't have a clue. You don't know me, you don't love me. So of course you don't listen to me. And, and while we've got more witnesses to go through, I just I want to pause really quick this morning. And I, and I want to confess to you, if you hear week after week these sermons, and you're listening, and, and it doesn't make sense, or, you, or it, it makes you angry, or you don't get it, or you like, that can't be true, that can't be right, we know why. We know why. God says why. It, for the, you, is the same as the Pharisees. You don't love God. And that may be hard to hear. That may be hard this morning. Like, hold on, Pastor. Let's, uh, we wanted something a little smooth and easy this morning. Well, it's not always smooth and easy. You don't love God. If God's Word offends you, if God's Word confuses you, if God's Word does not draw you to Himself, it's because you don't love Him. Now, there is hope in that. That's, that's really a downer. But there is hope. There, there is good news. You can. You can have clarity and understanding and love and hope. All you've got to do is love God and obey His commandments. The inverse is true. You don't love Him or you don't obey Him because you don't love Him. If you want to learn to obey Him, then learn to love Him. What does it mean to love God? It means to see Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That He came, He lived, He died, He rose again to forgive you of your sins. And by placing your hope and your trust in Him, you will want to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to show you a really, really neat passage. I don't want to get too far aside, but this is well worth reading. If you were to go to the book of Acts... Acts chapter 6. So we're post-resurrection, we're post-Pentecost. What we see in the book of Acts, from Acts 1 really on through this, is a revival taking place in the church. Acts chapter 6 is widely known as the section, the first part of it, where the office of deacon is instituted. But something interesting happens in verse 7. The Word of God continued to increase... And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It is very possible and very likely that many in Jerusalem and many of the very people, the priests and the Pharisees, that Jesus rebuked during His ministry after His resurrection came to faith in Christ. Jesus is coming down hard on these people in the book of John. It's very likely that by the time we get to Acts, those are the very people that are repenting. And so we need to see it for, as a critique and as a rebuke. And we need to hear it. And if this hurts your heart today, great. I am so glad to hear it. And I mean that. I'm glad. But our prayer is that it doesn't stop there, but we get to this part. And a great many were coming to the faith, even those of the priesthood. We want you to know Christ as Lord and as Savior. And Jesus gives us here witness after witness after witness. Himself, God the Father, and then as we turn back to his list of witnesses, John the Baptist. There is no witness that is more pronounced in the Gospel of John than John the Baptist. Remember, not the same person, 
There's John the Apostle, who's the author, and this is John the Baptist, the forerunner. We spent a great deal of time with him in John 1 and in John 2. He comes back in John 3. John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, is the one that said, the Savior is coming. Get ready. Be prepared. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. He's coming. Listen up. Jesus showed up on the scene. There he is. He's pointing to him. That's him. That's the guy. And so Jesus calls him as a witness. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John was a beacon in the dark. And as I think about John and think about why the Pharisees and the Jews didn't listen to him, they did for a little bit. It it admits that. Some of you were listening, but you ultimately rejected him. I think of playing hide and seek with a little child, about age three, four. And if you've played hide and seek with a little child, one that age, or if you haven't in a while, you'll remember when I say this, what do they do? They go and hide. First thing they do is they go and hide wherever the last person hid because they're not creative. But they get in that spot and they do what? They they all do something specifically. They close their eyes. All of them. I don't know why this is universally true. What's the deal with that? Why do they close their eyes? They're hiding from you. Well, here's the reason. At that age, what are they convinced of? They have a, a, um, it has to do with optical permanence. Now, that's a very fancy way of saying, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Optical permanence. It has to do with, if I can't see it, it's not there, it's not real. The Jews had John the Baptist, spiritually speaking, on fire in front of them, and they were going, I don't know what you're talking about, it's dark in here. They willfully closed their eyes to the light. That doesn't make it less of a light. That doesn't make it less true. That does not make it less of a witness. But they couldn't see because they were willfully putting themselves in the dark. Jesus says he was a burning and shining lamp. And then, and I'm so glad I I read R.C. Sproul yesterday as I was wrapping up this sermon... He reminded me there's another witness here. I don't have it on your list, so if you want to interject it. Jesus says, after he says that about John, the testimony I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness that the Father has sent me. Do you hear what he's saying? What has he done in chapter 5? What sparked all of this off? Jesus, by the word of his mouth, healed a man who had been paralyzed for almost 40 years. Do you want to be healed? Jesus said to the man, get up and walk. The miraculous ministry, the miracles surrounding Jesus Christ testify that he is the Son of God. Of God. And I've talked about this many times before, but when the prophets perform miracles, they do so in the name of God the Father. They evoke His name. When Jesus performs miracles, He says, Get up and walk. Why? Because He speaks on His own behalf. 
my works bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The miracle-filled ministry of Jesus bore witness to the fact He was who John told people He was. He truly was and is the Son of God. But yeah, there's one more witness to bring to the stand and then a surprise one at the end. Again, R.C. reminded me of. At this point, to, to come to the conclusion that Jesus is not God, you've got to deny Jesus. You've got to deny God the Father. You've got to deny John the Baptist. You've got to deny the miraculous ministry of Jesus Christ. You've also got to deny the entirety of the Old Testament. The entirety of the Old Testament. And so Jesus says in, in his concluding remarks, go to the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures for salvation, but you can't find it. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? Don't we often promote to read the Scriptures that you might be, um, uh, that you might be convicted of your sin, that you might turn from your sin and turn to God? Why can it be said of them that they're reading the Scriptures and they're not repentant? It's because they don't believe what's said. They don't listen. Um, this is a big section, and, and I really just want to summarize it with these words. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Now, remember, we're talking to Pharisees, Jewish elite. They were schooled in Old Testament. They were the, the supreme scholars of their time. Specifically, their area of expertise, their PhDs, would have been on the Pentateuch. They would have had a good knowledge of the Old Testament, but specifically, the Pentateuch was their area of focus. First five books of the Bible. Who wrote them? Mo well, God. Through Moses. And what does Jesus say? Well, Moses said, I'm the Son of God. If you do not believe His writing, how will you believe my words? You don't even believe Moses. Why are you going to listen to me? He says... I am the Messiah, the one to come, the promised one, the suffering servant. The seed of the woman that crushes the seed of the serpent. And what a great rebuke to the Pharisees. Jesus at this point has is, is really gone for the jugular. He, he cuts them deep here. You're wrong about everything, effectively is what Jesus is saying. Your own school of thought you don't understand. The entirety of the Old Testament points to me. And then there's one more that we can't ignore, and R.C. Sproul concludes with this. There is one more witness. It's not provided yet in John, but it will be. It may be the most powerful witness we have so far. That is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ Jesus died as a sacrifice. He gave his life. Go to the book of Leviticus and look at the sacrificial system and the requirements for a sacrifice. It had to be pure. It had to be unblemished. It had to be paid for. It had to be slain. Complete and total. Look at Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. How do we know he is God? 
because he rose from the dead. If he had had sin in him, he could not rise, for his death would have been judgment for that sin. But because he was sinless and died for the sins of his people, his sacrifice was accepted on their behalf. He could not stay dead. It was not possible. Death could not keep him. And on that third day, and Lord willing, we will get there, he rose from the dead victorious, saying, I am who I say I am. Six witnesses this morning, all pointing to the same facts. As we look ahead in this new year, and I will admit to you, I don't have a clue what 2024 is going to bring. Not an idea. But I can tell you two things, and I'll wrap up with this. One, whatever happens this next year, your greatest need is to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your greatest need is to have your sin forgiven. Your greatest need is met in Jesus Christ, who died to forgive you of your sins if you but trust in him by faith. So, not knowing anything the Lord's going to give us in 2024, or if Jesus is going to come back this afternoon, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Your greatest need is and can be met in Christ today. So what do we have to worry about next year? What is there to fear, worry, be anxious about, be concerned about, be afraid of? Jesus is saying over and over again in his word, I am who I say I am. Now believe in me. And if we do, we know 2024 and beyond will be a blessed time because it is in and through him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do. We need you more than we need anything else. At a time of the year that we reflect and we anticipate, I pray for your people, I pray for my own heart, that my greatest realization is I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And I pray that my greatest response to that realization is praise God, I have Jesus. Jesus testifies, the Scriptures testify, the Father testifies, the Spirit testifies. Witness after witness after witness recorded in the Scriptures Tell us, Jesus is God. May we believe that and live that out. May we trust in Him and all that is ahead for Your glory and for our good. Lord, I do pray that You would bless this coming year if You so grant it. Help us to trust in You more, walk with You closer, love one another deeper, and let us search the Scriptures that we might find him all the more precious. Thank you, Lord, for your word in this time together. In Christ's name I pray, amen.